0: If you open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to look at the last two verses of the chapter, verse 22 and 23. One of the many things that this first chapter has taught us we we should not miss, and that is the fact that this first chapter presents Jesus Christ as preeminent in every way. A quick reading of this first chapter, there are 23 verses. The name of Jesus Christ is mentioned more than 25 times. Beginning with Paul telling us that he was called to be an apostle by Jesus Christ according to the will of God and then working all the way down through being redeemed by his blood, given a great hope having received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Him. There is no Christianity without Jesus Christ. There is no church without Jesus Christ. There is no real and true fellowship to be had in truth where Jesus Christ is not the central figure. Where He is to be the object of worship. Where it is His pleasure that we are after. If ever we cease to have that in view and in focus, we've gotten outside the bounds of Scripture and to some degree or another have fallen prey to some kind of worldly thinking. And so, Lord, help us to keep Jesus Christ in the center where he rightly is, where he should be. So we've made it all the way down to the end Of this chapter, and I want to read verses 22 and 23 and then go back and look at just a couple of things that we saw last week because it really sets the stage for these verses. Verse 22 says, And he, this is the Father, and he put all things under his feet, this is the Son, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to take these verses and open them to our understanding, that you would show us again the beauty of our Savior, the beauty of the church for which he died. Help us to be in faithfulness his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. We pray these things in his name. Amen. So last week we looked at towards the end the universal rule of Christ. So I want you to back up with me. There were three things that Paul asked the Lord to show and to reveal to the Ephesian church. Those three things we do well to take and make our own prayers that we would know beginning back there in in verse 18. The eyes of our understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him, At his right hand in heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this age but also in the age to come. So beginning there in verse 21 we've read of the universal rule of Christ which basically tells us that he is Lord over all creation. How comforting is that to you as a Christian? To know that your Savior, the one who has loved you by shedding his own blood, is Lord over all creation. There is not a higher power, there is not a greater name than Jesus Christ our Lord, both now and forever. I like what Curtis Vaughn says about this as we think about all that Christ has done to get to this point of exaltation to get to this point to where he is now seated again at the right hand of the Father first entering his creation in the womb of the Virgin Mary living this life, dying the death that he died, being entombed and rising again. Curtis Vaughn says the head that was once crowned with thorns now wears the diadem of universal dominion. Everything answers to him. Every one Answers to him. And as we read down through the end of this first chapter, we can't help but notice these at least three, you might number them differently, but at least three great things that the Father has done for the Son based upon his work of redemption. First, he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Second, He has put all things under his feet. And third, he has given him to be head over all things to the church. These three great things, at least three, that the Father has done for the Son that points to the dominion, the power of Jesus Christ. So this morning we're just looking primarily at verses 22 And and we're going to catch the second and the third of those things. Now all things are under the feet of Christ. And as pertaining to his church, he has been given by the father as the head of the church. So let's look at the first of those in, in verse 22. He has put all things under his feet. If you go back in the Psalms to the 8th Psalm, these words Paul has taken out of the 8th Psalm and he uses them three different places in his epistles. In the 8th Psalm, what is in view here is mankind and that the Lord God in heaven who created us has given mankind dominion over all the works of his hands. If you're looking at Psalm 8, that's in verse 6. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. That's Psalm 8 there in those verses are speaking to the high place of mankind as being the crown and the pinnacle of creation but paul does something interestingly he takes those verses and he applies them specifically to christ here in ephesians 1 also in first corinthians chapter 15 verse 27 and in hebrews chapter 2 verses 7 and 8 paul borrows from that psalm to put Jesus Christ in his rightful and high position as the one to whom everything has been placed under his feet, which points to his lordship, which points to his dominion, his might, and his power. So let's look at those other two places because they're helpful, particularly the one in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 you may immediately recognize that that chapter is its a very lengthy chapter, but it's one that speaks to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I remember early on, as a preacher, on an Easter Sunday morning, I attempted to preach all 58 verses. And I, I probably touched on several of them, but um, one person leaving that service said, I've never been in a service before where anyone has preached all 58 verses of this. So, obviously, it would take weeks, months to go through this 15th chapter. But look at verse 27. Verse 27. Because there is something here added to what Paul is pulling out of Psalm 8. Verse 25 says, For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things were put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. What that's meaning is the Father has not been put under the feet of the Son, but the Father has put everything under the Son's feet. And that particular verse, as Paul draws it out, Here in verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 15 tells us the last enemy to be put under the feet of Christ is death. What he experienced as being raised from the dead, you and I will also experience. When Christ returns from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, the dead in Christ shall rise first. But that's not the only place where Paul uses this If you are looking now in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. Paul begins by asking a question, if indeed Paul wrote this, which some believe he did, some believe he didn't. What is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you take care of him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor and set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not see all things put under him. Isn't that true when you look around the world? Does everything seem to be under the subjection of Jesus Christ? In truth, it is, but doesn't the world look like it's running amok and out of control? We do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. In both places that we've looked, 1 Corinthians and Hebrews 2 Paul equates this, all things being put under the feet of Christ with his ultimately and finally subduing the last and great enemy of mankind, and that is death itself. So it's no wonder that Paul started this train of thought with this, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. That's the same type of power, the same kind of power that is at work in you and in me. All things under the feet of your Savior. There is no greater name. There is no higher power than Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's His universal dominion. That's His lordship over all things. But if you look at the second part of this, in verse 22... And he gave him to be head over all things to the church. There's a little bit of a difference about this. But before we get into that difference, notice that Paul says that the Father gave the Son to be head over the church. Think of along both of these lines we read in John chapter 3 verse 16 in Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We read here in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 that after having put all things under his feet, the father has again given his son to be head over all things concerning the church. So when we put those together, he gave him to be the Savior, and then he gave him as the Lord of the saved. He gave him to be Savior, and he gave him to be the Lord of the saved. Let there be no mistake, biblically speaking, if you are in Christ, if you have by faith attached yourself to Him, if you are in union with the Son of God, then He is your Lord. He is your Master. He is your Ruler. Why anyone would ever want to shy away from that or get out from under that is a great mystery. Why would we want to get out from under the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Why would we want to get out from under the headship of Jesus Christ? All things are under his feet. Certainly we are under his feet. But even more than that, he has been given to the church as head. And there are at least three things. And again, you can probably list others. But at least three things that is that are helpful and we can go chapter and verse to pull out of the scriptures of what it means that Jesus Christ is the head of his church. First of all, it must certainly mean that he has supreme authority in the church. He guides, he governs, he controls, and the church is wholly responsible to him. It's interesting, isn't it, that we read that not only every word that we speak, but every thought and intent of our heart is going to come under and does come under the scrutiny of the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the Lord of the church, as the head of the church, certainly he has the right to dictate certain things about the worship that is the church is to be involved in. We have no freedom to go outside of the things of Christ's expectation concerning worship. We must give ourselves to the reading of the scriptures, to the preaching of the scriptures, to the observance of the ordinances, to fellowship, to prayer, prayer in his name, These are the expectations that the head of the church has placed upon the church, and these things have his blessing resting upon them. Other things do not. Other things that accord to the wisdom of man or the wisdom of ministry, whatever it may be, does not have the blessing of the head of the church resting upon it. So, first of all, surely it means that he is the one in supreme authority. The church is responsible to him and him alone. But also, when we begin to think more about this metaphor that is unique only to Paul, it's such a familiar metaphor to us, the body of Christ, in Christ being the head, but it's only Paul that writes of it. In various of his epistles, yes, he brings it to the forefront, but it's, only, it's unique to him. And being unique to him, he uses it to show that not only is Christ the supreme authority, but that we are in vital union with him. Sever the church from the head, and what happens? There is no church. So close and real as a head is to a body, that's the union of Jesus Christ and his church. And that's what makes this metaphor of the body of Christ and he being the head such an important thing to Paul and such a glorious thing for us. But this headship of Jesus Christ also points to a third third emphasis, and that is the church's total dependence upon Christ as head. I'm not trying to be gruesome here, but how well would your body function, your physical body function, if it is detached from its head? It's not going to function at all. It's going to die. This is the closeness that this metaphor brings to us. We are in vital union with Jesus Christ as the head of the church. He gives the direction. He has given us the ordinances. We are under his expectation. Just as your head and your brain that resides in your head sends all types of signals through nerves to make your hands move and your feet move and your legs and all of these things, your organs function, all of types of things, the same is to be seen that this is the operation of Jesus Christ toward his church. And we can't miss the fact again that the Father has given him to be head over all things to the church. So we have the overarching universal dominion of Christ over all things, but yet on a much more personal, relational, intimate way, The Father has given him to be head over the church. Jesus Christ is not the head over the things of the world. He's the head over his redeemed. He's the head over his own church. And this is where we can look at this word that Paul uses here. Head over all things pertaining to or to the church. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ is an assembly people called out of the world to assemble themselves under the headship of christ we're told here and in other places by paul that the church is to be considered as the very body of christ and again i like what curtis vaughn says about this he said christ as their head is the source of their life and power And they, as his body, are the means by which he carries out his work in the world. So let's look at one of the premier places that Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You're familiar with these verses, especially once I start reading them. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 where Paul expounds the greatest upon this image or metaphor of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12, for as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body. So also it is with Christ. For by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, And have all been made to drink into one spirit, for in fact the body is not one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? And then pay particular attention to verse 18. But now, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? And then He goes on to verses that you're also... Familiar with the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, vice versa. The body is interconnected, each member is important to a healthy functioning of the body, physically and in church, in church body life, physically speaking when a finger or a hand or a toe or a foot or whatever is severed from the body, the body loses part of its function. And the same could be carried over into the life of the church. As as Christ builds his church and he is placing members in his church just as he sees fit, then when those members are removed, the body of Christ is left, in essence, bleeding Now, that's not to say that the Lord doesn't move members from one church to another under his providential care and guidance for them and provision. What I'm speaking about is just the the rather abrupt, for selfish reasons or whatever it may be, pulling yourself away from the church, not giving yourself wholeheartedly to the church, seeing that the Lord has gifted you for the betterment of the body. We're so individualistic in our thinking. Very often we think the Lord has gifted me, the Lord has gifted you for me and you. But in reality, when the Lord gives a gift to you by the Spirit, that gift is to be used within the boundaries of His church. He is supplying something that lacked. He is giving something That is good. It's a gift. We're going to get there in Ephesians chapter 4 where he gives good gifts to his church. Another of these places where Paul speaks of the body of Christ is in this same epistle in the third chapter in verse 14. This is also another of his prayers. We've looked at length at the prayer contained in chapter 1. And in time, we'll get to the prayer contained in chapter 3, but let me read a few verses that are there. Beginning in verse 14, he says, For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend, notice this, with all the saints, what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ to which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It's interesting, isn't it, that Paul here says that God in answering these prayers or the petitions of this prayer that we will be able to comprehend with all the saints. It's it's as if Paul is saying all the saints are necessary. If you're going to come to the realization and the understanding of where the Lord would have you to the full measure and stature of Jesus Christ, then we're going to be dependent one upon another. All of this and so much more is what it means for Christ to be the head over all things to his church, which is his body. How often do we think about the blessing of being a part of the body of Christ? It's unique. There's nothing else in the world like it. To be an assembly of the redeemed. To be called and equipped by him to carry out some function in the body. To be, what Curtis Vaughn says again, the means by which he carries out his work in the world. What a privilege. What a great thing he has let us be a part of. then we get to this phrase which admittedly is a difficult phrase the fullness of him still speaking about the church not only does paul say that the church is the body of christ his body but also the fullness of him there's different ways that people have dealt with this phrase and i'm just going to give you the two main ways that We can understand this and then tell you sort of where I come down. You can come down wherever you will on this. The fullness of him. Many people think here that the church is the completion of Christ. And you have to think about this carefully because he's not lacking anything in himself. But when you think of this metaphor that Paul is using head and body it's as if the church brings christ to completion in his work in the world the father is now giving him to be the head over this body and it is the church which fills or completes christ in this ministry in the in the sense that he is now gifting the members of his church and commissioning them to carry on his work and there may be hints and elements of truth in that, but the second, I think, is the better way to understand it, and it is to see that now he is filling the church. It's just a little difference of, of understanding, but it is he that is now filling the church to completion, the fullness of him. Either way we take it really is a a great and grand thought, isn't it? Concerning the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. How dear the church is to Him. How dear is the church to you? You can't read these verses without coming away that the church the called out and redeemed, assembled worshipers, believers, have been greatly loved by Jesus Christ. Isn't that where Paul began back in his prayer when he speaks of, in verse 15, I heard of your faith in Christ and your love for the saints. These things always seem to go together. In conclusion, let me give you a great paragraph by Sinclair Ferguson. That's a name that you probably recognize. He tries to sum all of this together, and he does it in a way that I just want to give you his words. He says, Here then is a glorious description of Christ and his people creator and conquering lord head of the church filled with the fullness of god filling all things and ruling all things for the sake of this body which is his fullness the church is the community which christ in whom god's own fullness dwells now indwells filling it up as it were with his presence and flooding it with his grace conforming it to his image until it is filled with his own likeness. And I love those words, that Christ is now flooding his church with his grace. We are the recipients of it. And then the last part of this 23rd verse, speaking of Christ who fills all in all. He is the preeminent one. He is the ruler of heaven and earth, the universal reign of Christ, but also the particular gift of the Father to the church to be its head. We should take great comfort in that. But we also have great responsibility to ensure that in every step that we are obedient to him bringing honor and glory to him and in no way detracting from it or grieving him. Lord, help us to be just that. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we are thankful for these words. Help us more and more to understand them, to understand the important place of your church and the great expense that Christ went to to secure it unto himself. We're thankful to know that he is our head. That he is governing and ruling us. Giving us direction. Help us, Lord, to be obedient in all things. And to take more and more glory in this fact. That you have given your own son. Not only to save but to be the head of those that are saved. We pray these things in his name for his glory. Amen.